Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together and look at Acts 20 together this morning. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this glorious day. We thank you for the, the fall weather and the changing of seasons and just the beauty of your creation and how it points us to you. We pray this morning uh, that as we open your word, that you would uh, lead and guide us in all truth. Uh, we confess each time we open your word together that we cannot do this on our own, that we need the Holy Spirit to take the truth of your eternal word and apply it to our hearts and minds and point us more fully to you. And so we ask that you would do that this morning, that our time would be uh, glorifying to you, that it would make much of who you are and what you've done for us, that we would see that clearly. We pray that as we uh, think about what it looks like to make disciples and to be the church that you've called us to be, that you would call us into greater obedience uh, of what that looks like and that we would truly seek you in all things. Uh, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking uh, this week, thinking about this sermon and going into it, and uh, there was a thought that kept coming to mind about how uh, different challenges in our life uh, whatever way that may be, oftentimes leads to growth. Uh, when we come ag- up against the challenge, I mean, we, we know that uh, kind of physically, uh, like when we, if we work out, if we push ourselves, if we do things, we get stronger, it helps to make us. We know that kind of in the physical realm. But I, I think that's true in our lives and the things that we come up against and the things that we see in our life. And so I was thinking back about just different times in my life. And, and there was, surprisingly enough, a time in seventh grade that came to mind. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I got cut uh, from the boys' basketball team at my school, and my coach was very direct. He was a nice guy. He wasn't ugly about it. He was very direct, but he said, you're too slow, and you can't use your left hand. And I went, oh, okay. And I was crushed. Seventh grade, someone tells you you're really slow, and you can't use your left hand, and it was, it was hard. But what I did is every day, I started dribbling with my left hand and shooting with my left hand and working on getting quicker, and the next year, I made the basketball team. But it it inspired a great growth in me by failing and then having someone tell me why I had and just saying that directly to me. But I, I can follow that through my life in a lot of different ways. Uh, I can think of different times of maybe tragedy or hardship in my life and where uh, very clearly it was either I'm going to press into God or I'm going to run away from him. And God meeting me in those moments. I think of that when my brother Jed died and God was so clearly at work in those ways in my life. And I saw an incredible growth that was there. Uh, I think about that still now at different times of being confronted with my own sin, my own arrogance, my pride, those things that get brought into light and how God continues to point me to my great need and of his grace and what Jesus has done. And so those difficult things. Sometimes they can be humiliating. Sometimes they can be very hard, can be difficult. But God uses those to kind of bring us to a new place of dependence on him. And so it's important for us to think about that at different times, that sometimes being admonished, sometimes being challenged is really, really important. In fact, we're going to see that in our text this morning as Paul's talking about the church and what the elders or the leaders in the church are supposed to be doing. And he's talking about his example and what he did and what he's charging them with. And we're going to see that in there. And so today we're going into Acts chapter 20. And it's kind of a part two of what we talked about last week. If you were here with us last week, we were looking in chapter 18 and 19 and this idea of discipleship that we see throughout Acts. If you go back to the beginning of Acts, Uh, It starts around 30 A.D. with Jesus' ascension, and he gives them the charge to go make disciples. 
You're going to go over the face of the earth and make disciples. We see a parallel passage in Matthew. Matthew says uh, to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And so we've been talking about that as we see that. That's kind of the, the whole underpinning of everything we see happening in Acts as the church grows. Disciples are making disciples and healthy multiplication is happening. And the gospel is spreading over the face of the earth. And so where we get to where we are today in Acts chapter 20, we're now sitting in about 57 A.D. Right? So Acts takes us from 30 to about 63 A.D. And so we're getting towards the end. Uh, Paul has gone on now his third missionary journey where he goes around and plants churches and he's doing all these great things and he's and he's seeing uh, the, the mission of the church being fulfilled, disciples who are making disciples as the gospel spreads throughout the face of the earth. And we see Paul playing a huge role in this. And so as we were talking about it last week, we saw uh, just thinking about this idea that we're all called to make disciples. We talked about the fullness of this idea of discipleship being uh, being discipled, not just um, growing in our knowledge and our understanding of the Lord, although it's certainly that. But also that discipleship includes going from unbelief to belief and then growing in that in every area of our life. And so the definition I gave last week, we try to say this frequently, is discipleship when we look at it is is growing uh, in the lordship of Jesus in every area of our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to bring every area of our life. And so last week we were talking about how all of us is called to be growing in that and then to help others growing in that. And so that's the call of the church. You are the church. The church is the people of God. We gather together here as the church, but we are called and our mission is to make disciples that make disciples. Well, today, Paul is going to call the elders together from the church of Ephesus, and he's going to give them some parting words. And I think what he tells us helps us to see clearly the way the church is supposed to come alongside. And I say the church now in the sense of the church institutional, your local church. To help the church body, us, the family, make disciples together. And so Paul's going to give us some very helpful, practical wisdom on what that looks like. But if you notice when Dan read the text to us just a second ago, Paul tells them in this address, I'm not going to see you again. He says, the Holy Spirit's shown me. I have afflictions awaiting me. Imprisonment. I'm not coming back here. I'm pushing on. Paul's plan now is to move towards Rome. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And then the end of the book of Acts, he's going to find his way to Rome. And he knows he's not going to see them again. And so I just say to you, as we read what Paul is saying to the leaders of the church and how they are called to equip the church for the work of this ministry of making disciples, it's pretty important words if you think about it. Paul knows that this is the last time he's going to see him. Right. There's a great uh, sadness with all of them. They, these are the people that Paul has spent time in ministry with and he loves and he's poured into. And he's telling them, I'm not going to see you again. But then he tells them these important things. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I want us to see the three things that he highlights for the leadership of the church to be leading the church in this uh, mission that we have of, to be disciples who make disciples. And so we're going to look at it this way. The first thing is what we believe. He's going to help show them, talk to them about how to do that, how to do that well, to, to instruct the people on what we believe, how we live, and then thirdly, why we do it. And he gives very practical instruction on what that looks like. And so I want us to look at that passage together in Luke chapter 20 and look at that, what we believe, how we live, and then why we do it. And it dovetails nicely with what we talked about last week. 
Because last week we were saying we are all called to be disciples who make disciples. This week is going to look at the idea of the church, uh, the leadership in the church, how we help equip you to do that. And so that's all of us working together to make disciples who make disciples. Okay, so let's start with what we believe the first part there. And so just a reminder, this is the parting words that he's giving them. And it's very important that what he would last say that he can say to these elders in the church at Ephesus. Right? He knows they're going to be the ones watching over the church, caring for the flock. That, that is their calling to do that. It'd probably be important for us to at least talk about elders for just a moment because he calls the elders together. And I think sometimes we can get a, a misrepresentation of what an elder in the church is. Uh, if you go and you look through the New Testament, what we see is an elder. Elder and pastor are used synonymously. Uh, sometimes we operate in this idea of like you have a head pastor and he's in charge and then he's got a board of advisors or sometimes they call them uh, some churches, depending on what you grew up in, say a, a board of deacons, uh, a deacon and elder actually biblically are two different things. They're not the same thing. Elder is a pastor that is over the flock together. But what you see in the Bible is it's never one guy. It's a plurality of leadership. It's multiple and so you have three or four or five or ten or however many in the church that are over the flock together as pastors together. Now, we often think of someone like myself that stands up and preaches and teaches as the pastor and then the elders of these other guys over here behind the scenes. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. Elders are called to care for the flock, to be pastors, to oversee, to watch over the flock, to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so our church is elder led and run that way. It's myself and Luke and Dan and Mike and Dennis. Currently, we have other guys that have that have faithfully served as elders that are still elders in this church, like Bill and Gil. And we're called to help to lead the church in the thing God calls us to to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And our mission as a church is to make disciples. So elders are there to help the church be equipped to make disciples who make disciples. All right. So these are the guys that Paul calls together to address here. And so look at what he says to him. Pick up in verse 17 with me. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said, you yourselves know how I've lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice he says, I came to you and I spent time in public, public gatherings, preaching and teaching. But I also spent time house to house, walking this out with you and spending time always pointing you to who Jesus is and what he's done. And so he says it's not just a public upfront ministry, but it's a house to house living this out together. But then pick up in verse 26 with what he says. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers is just another word for elder used again synonymously. He says to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves 
will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And so he gives them this this very strong charge and he's talking about what he's done and now he's charging them to do the same. And he's about to leave and he's telling them, I'm not going to see you again. But in verse 26, he says, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all. He's saying I'm innocent in the sense of I've done everything that God has called me to do for you and in your lives. And now I'm moving on. And he gives his reason why. Do you see? Look at verse 27 because he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. And then he says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of of God. And so when we talk about the, the elders in the church, the leadership in the church and the charge he's giving and the way that the elders are supposed to equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry is to clearly proclaim the whole counsel of God. To hold to God's word and what it says and to clearly say all of what it says and not just pick and choose or leave out the hard parts, but to declare the entire counsel of God's word. And Paul says, you know, I've done that. And I did it in public and I did it from house to house. And I've told you and he's charging them to do the same because it's absolutely important that we as a church hold to God's word. And he even gives you some practical examples. Why? He says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go away. And there's going to be some that will come in like fierce wolves, not sparing the flock. There will be some that come in and teach things that are contrary to God's word. And then he even says, even from among you, even within the church, there's going to become false teaching. And you need to be able to call that out when it does. And that's exactly the charge that Paul gives, not just here, but in his other letters about what an elder looks like. In Timothy and Titus, he talks about the importance of elders in the church. And he says, you need to be able to teach, give instruction and sound doctrine and refute bad doctrine. And he's telling them the same thing here. It's of the utmost importance that you proclaim the whole word of God. But then you can see when someone is is straying from that and you have to be able to tell the truth in those situations. Proclaim the whole counsel of God. And so this first part about what we believe that leadership in the church is to call us to obedience and faithful proclamation of God's word. We have to let that stand over us in all things. And it's so important in every area of our life. If we are going to be obedient to Jesus in all things that we hold fast to what he has told us. That we don't operate just on our emotions or how we feel or how we think about things, but what God has said about them. Paul will write in Romans 12 very clearly when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That we're called to continually bring ourselves under God's word, under the truth of what he's told us. And Paul says, I've done that faithfully, and now I'm charging you to do the same. And so we talk about the leadership in the church. Whether you go to church here, you're a member here, or you go somewhere else, that's one of the first things you should look for. Do they hold to God's word? They proclaim the whole counsel of God and how it points you to Jesus. Because without that, we're lost. 
Without that, we're just floating along, kind of operating, seeking to make disciples or do church or however you say it. We're seeking to do it by our own feelings and thoughts and uh, new philosophies of the day. And this is the best way to do it. But we have to hold firmly to God's word. And it's important if you think about it for so many reasons. Our affections Our hearts, the way we live, the way we think, the way we respond to things are dependent on what we believe. And if we believe things that are not true about who God is and we continue to uh, just roll over in those over and over and we continue to go back to things that aren't what Scripture says, then we end up with struggles and hardships in this life. God calls us to an obedience, but he calls us to this deeper understanding of who he is. And he's revealed that to us. In his word. And when we leave that out, it leads to all sorts of different problems. See, what I believe directly influences the way I live. I was thinking about this just this uh, past month. We went on vacation. Uh, I went with my family to Dollywood, which if you know me, that's like it's because I love my family that I went to Dollywood. But I went there. And I'm okay spending money to go to a place like that. And I'm okay because I've come to this belief in my life that that I I get a lot more out of experiences with people than I do from buying stuff. That's just a conviction I have. That doesn't mean I'm right. If you don't believe that, you're wrong. I'm just saying that's a conviction, a belief I have now. And so I'm okay spending money on these experiences because they make memories and they're often way better than anything, any stuff I can buy. And so that's a belief I have that then influences the way I live. I'm very stingy. I'm kind of cheap, but I'm okay parting ways with my money for an experience that I'm going to have, particularly with my family, that will make memories that I will remember for a lifetime. And so you see how what I believe influences the way we live. Uh, The same is true spiritually speaking. If I believe God is sovereignly in control of all things, it's going to influence the way I operate in hard times. When difficult things come. But the truth is for every single one of us, even though the Bible tells us that God is sovereign, it tells us that he's good, that he loves us, that he knows that we're what we're going through, that he's gracious, that he's patient, that he's the perfect loving father. Oftentimes we forget those things. The truth is in difficult times is when it's easiest to forget those things. Because the circumstances of our life become so real and so in our face and they're right there. And it's easier to believe the things that we're dealing with day to day than it is what God's word says. Particularly if we're not spending time in God's word. And the more we let the circumstances of life crowd in and continue to press in on us and we don't go to God's word, the more we begin to believe the lies that are around us. And so Paul says, leaders in the church, you make sure you proclaim the full counsel of God's word. That we base our lives and what we do and the way we act and the way that we go forth on what God says, not just the circumstances in our lives. And he says, there's going to be times where people pop up even within the church and they say, no, 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 that's not the way it works. And he says, you have to be able to refute bad doctrine with God's word. And so when we talk about how we are called as leaders in the church, and this applies to all of us, not just the leaders in the church, we are all called to make disciples who make disciples. And if we're going to do that, we have to stand on God's word above all else. You making a disciple of Jesus 
is not just sharing what you've learned in your life and what you think about things with other people. It's pointing them more fully to who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so we have to hold firmly to God's word if we're ever going to make disciples. And so that's the first thing here of what he tells us very practically. What we believe influences the way we live. And he says, so you hold fast to God's word. You proclaim it publicly and from house to house. And as you go and you continue to come back to who God is and the way he's revealed himself. But that's not all he says. He also teaches them that they're to then live it out. It's not just speaking the words. It's not just proclaiming God's word. It's more than that. I'll remind you what Jesus says about the Great Commission. I've been saying this a lot lately. And this isn't uh, aimed at anyone. The reason I keep saying it a lot is I felt like I never heard it growing up. And so probably that's why I keep coming back to it. But Jesus says, when he says to make disciples, teach them to obey all that I commanded. He doesn't say teach them and you're good. He doesn't say have a Bible study and spend lots and lots of time in God's word and then you've made disciples. He says you teach them to obey. It's one thing to know what it says. It's another step to now actually live it out and do it. And so Paul says that very thing here. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, when I came to you, you know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot, plots of the Jews. And he says, man, I was attacked and they came after me and all these things. And you know how I lived. You know how I lived obediently to God's word. I didn't just stand up and preach it and then retreat and you never saw my life and what it looks like. He says, I lived it out and you know, because I was with you. And then a little later on, drop down to verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. I want you to hear what he says. What we're called to in making disciples is leadership in the church, but then as all of us who are seeking to make disciples who make disciples. He says, I admonished you every day, day and night for three years. I admonished everyone with tears. I want you to think about what he's saying there. That image of what Paul is, is painting to admonish with tears in all things from house to house, spending time. When, when I read that, I immediately had a vivid example in my mind. I think I was 14, maybe 15 years old. And my parents decided we had just moved and that we were going to go to a new school. But instead of going to the local public school, my parents were going to put us in a Christian school. And I was very upset about that. My brother and I both. And it's not because I wasn't a Christian or I had anything against a Christian school. This is the way a mind of a 14 year old works. Uh, it was a smaller school and their basketball team wasn't as good. And I wanted to play basketball. And that's all I cared about. And I remember fighting with my parents over this over and over. I don't want to go to that school. I want to go to this school. And, and it really that was about it because of basketball. And I remember one day kind of having not a heated argument, but telling my dad, I don't want to go there. Don't make us go there. 
And finally, he just stopped and he looked at me and he grabbed me and he kind of pulled me close to him and he got great big tears in his eyes. And he said, I want you to go to this school and it's because I love you and I don't want to argue about this anymore. And I went, okay. And he was right. And he knew better. He knew better than I did. And he put me in a school where men discipled me and they cared about me and they pointed me to Jesus and he knew exactly what he was doing. But the tears in his eyes was because he loved me greatly and he knew it would be better for me to be there than in this other school. And he knew what he was doing. And I think that's what that's the image I get with Paul as he walks with the church daily and he preaches the entire counsel of God. And he walks with them and he sees them going after other things and he goes, no, 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 this is not the way it works. This is not what God calls you to. And I think about him admonishing with tears and it makes me go back to chapter 17 where we were a couple weeks ago. If you remember, it says that Paul was walking through the city of Athens and he saw the many idols that were there and he was provoked in his spirit. He was overwhelmed with all these people following after false idols and the, the promises that they give that they will never fulfill. And he's provoked in his spirit. And I think it's the same thing it's talking about here. When he says, I admonished you with tears. That I'm proclaiming the word of God and what it says. And I so want you to get it. Because Jesus is better than anything else. And when he calls you to make disciples, to make disciples and to give your life away for the people around you, your greatest joy will be found when you do that, trusting in Christ, walking with him. And Paul knows it. Here's a man who literally was beaten and thrown in jail and left for dead and all these things. And he's still going, I'm going to praise God in all of it. Because he understands the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus above all else. And so when he talks about admonishing with tears, it's the hardest part of being in a church. It's the hardest part of making disciples who are truly going to make disciples. It means that we have to exhort one another. There are times when we have to admonish with tears. This is what God says, and we're not doing it. And now let's follow him fully into that. And it's not an easy thing to say. Oftentimes, in our life, in our relationships, we just don't say it. And the truth is we don't say it because we love more what people think of us than we actually love the other person. If I see someone who's not walking in the way God's called them and I ignore it because they might get upset with me. That is my own selfishness. That is my own concern about what people think of me rather than who God is and that he deserves all the glory. That it's all about him. And it's very hard sometimes. I'll be honest, we've, we've had elder meetings. Somebody needs to talk to that person. and Everybody kind of looks at their shoes like, you want to do that? It's not easy. But I will tell you, Matthew 18 tells you clearly. That if a brother is sinning, that you go to that person. If they still don't listen, you take another person, you go. And then Jesus says, when, when you do that, I am there with you. In the experience 
of my life tells me over and over that when I have those times that I need to admonish someone in the Lord and what he's called us to, I hate that. Go, oh. But you know what? God shows up every time. And he does the things that he says he's going to do. And I often worry about it and stew about it. And then God shows up and I go, why did I worry about that? But that's exactly what Paul's talking about here, admonishing with tears, discipling one another, truly wanting one another's best that we're going to call each other to a fullness of what God has called us to, to hold to his word. And so it's not just what we believe, but it's now how we live that out. And we're called to walk out that together. And you see that with Paul, he says, you know me, I was with you publicly, but from house to house and he's doing this. And so it's not just we study the Bible and we go, yeah, yeah, we all agree with that. It's now we actually begin to live that out. I want you to notice, though, what he says here. He's talking about house to house and how he's living with them and how he's spending time with them. If we don't spend time together outside of an hour on Sunday morning, we cannot do this. It's not possible. You can't know about enough about my life and I can't know enough about your life for that to happen. And so we're called to walk this out in all of life together. Discipleship, bringing every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus. I need people seeing every area of my life. You can go, oh, he's got it together. It's great. Well, you need to come home when I'm tired and frustrated and my kids are obnoxious. and Right? I'm hungry and they're obnoxious and it's all coming together. I need people to remind me who I am in Jesus every day. And that's exactly what he's talking about, that we're called to live it out together. And so it's not just the preaching of the word, but it's obeying. But then the last thing I want you to see, and this is so very important, because if we get this wrong, we miss the entire thing. Look at verse 32. So he's just told them, I've admonished you with tears every, it's not ceasing day or night. And then verse 32, now I command, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And I want you just to focus in on that little phrase that he says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. We can easily read this and say, well, what we should do as a church to make disciples is we have lots of Bible studies and we watch over one another and we point out all the things that we're doing wrong. And that's what we do. And that's how we'll make disciples. But if we leave out what he says here, commend you to God in the word of his grace, we will miss the entire thing. We can live together. We can point out faults. We can do a whole lot of stuff of you're not doing this. And we need to study the Bible and we get this and we can become modern day Pharisees very quickly. But when we hold to the word of his grace, that's what discipleship looks like. It's we're holding each other accountable. We're admonishing one another with tears. And then we're immediately pointing each other to Jesus and how he's done it all. Otherwise, we're not making disciples of Jesus. If Jesus is not at the very center and the glorious good news of his gospel, if we are not motivated and working out of a, fu a fullness of who we are in Christ, our identity that we've been saved that we've been made new, that we are welcome into his family, that we are beloved children of God. And it's all because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. 
If we're not living out of that overflow, the flip side of that is we go, well, we've got to study the word and we've got to tell one another and we've got to do this so that God loves us. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you because he loves you. And he loves you so much that he's done everything that you couldn't do in Jesus. And now we get to live out of that identity and go make disciples of Jesus. And it has to be that way. Or we're no longer proclaiming the gospel. If we get the order reversed, we've now made up a false religion that's all based on your works. And you'll never be able to do enough. And that is a burden that will crush you. But when we rest in the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus, we now get to live this way. We are now united with Christ. We are made one with him and we get to go out and make disciples and point to who Jesus is. I ask that we sing uh, the Grace Alone song this morning. I love that song. Because I need to be reminded every day that it's all grace. It says that your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. My darkened heart, the light of Christ has shown Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Heaven citizen by grace and grace alone. Thank God. So thankful that it's not make lots of disciples, do a bunch of things, study the Bible, point things out, and then maybe you get into his kingdom. That's not the way this works. It's by his grace that we're welcomed into his family and now we get to live this way. We get to walk that out, making disciples together. And so God calls us into that. And yes, we're to hold fast to the word. Yes, we're to live lives closely together that we admonish and encourage and rebuke one another, pointing each other more fully to Jesus. And in doing so, we see the gospel spread and we see God show up and do these things. So I'm done with this passage, but I'm going to take just two minutes to tell you a couple ways you can actually do this in our church. I want it to be practically helpful. And so Paul says, word, holding fast to God's word publicly from house to house. And I would just say to you real clearly and just as honestly as I can, admonishing you with tears. But make it a priority in your schedule to come together and worship with God's people. To hear the preaching of his word, to encourage one another, to sing praises together. God calls us to do that. He says, don't neglect doing that. And oftentimes we treat it as if it's something that's optional. And so that doesn't mean if you're you're not here a week or you're out of town or you're sick or something's going on. We're not going to come knock on your door and say, where were you? But God calls us to be part of this together. And it's important in our discipleship as a body of believers together. But then we have missional community groups here. Missional community groups are smaller groups that we get together meeting from house to house during the week. Publicly and then house to house, admonishing one another, walking that out together. And so I would just encourage you, if you're not part of one of those groups, be part of one of those groups. It's a great way to get to know other people. All of the elders in the church here, all five of our elders right now lead a group. And it's how they know you and how they spend time with you and how they hear what's going on and encourage you. 
It's how we know what's going on, that we can be praying for those things together. And so it's a great opportunity for you to do exactly what we've talked about. We said last week, discipleship is us going on mission together. And as we go, we grow together. That's exactly what we're seeking to do in a missional community group. That as we go, we would grow together. And it gives us opportunities to invite people into our homes and love them and meet them where they are. And so I would just encourage you to be part of one of those. You may or may not know this. Joanne and I are just in the process of moving. Lord willing, at some point we will be in our new house. (laughs) But when we do, we're going to restart our group. And if you're not in one, that would be a great time for you to come and join us. But there's several groups meeting all over and we'd love for you to be part of that. And then we have DNA groups that grow out of that. Three or four men or three or four women together meeting and encouraging one another. Confessing sin, loving each other, helping each other walk more closely with God and love for you to be part of that. And then lastly, we're going to do a thing starting in the next week. Just finished it this week. And it's a personal discipleship plan. It's about an eight page document that's got a bunch of questions on it. And the goal is for you to do that in community with other believers and answer those things honestly. Where you struggle, where things are good, where you see improvement. And it's all questions about your personal walk with the Lord and what that looks like and how that works. And the whole goal of that is to then encourage you and what it looks like to grow as a disciple and making disciples. And we want to take seriously that that's the mission that God's given us as a church. That we get to now live out of our identity in Jesus and help one another to do the same. And so if you're not currently in a group, we still love for you to do that. We'll have those available, I think, next week. We're going to be going through them in our missional community groups. But we'll also give them out if you would like one to take it. And then please, please come see myself or Luke or Dan or Mike or Dennis. Any one of us would love to go through it with you and talk about, okay, well, where do we where do we go to work? How do we follow Jesus? How do we become more obedient to Jesus in every area of our life? So that we can be a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of who you are. We thank you that we get to live out of our identity in Jesus. That your love is not dependent on how well we make disciples or how well we do anything. But it's purely because of what Christ has done for us. And we simply say thank you. We pray that you would help us to live more fully into what you've called us to be as your church, that we would truly be a a group of believers making disciples who makes disciples, who's holding one another accountable, but pointing each other to the fullness of everything that we have in Christ, that you would be at the very center of all of it. We thank you. We love you. We pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen.